Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, open up, please, to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 will be in verses 7 through 12 this morning. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And once you're open there, if you would, go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. James writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning of verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we pray today that you would open our hearts and minds so that we would receive your word. And God, it's our prayer we would be changed by it today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before the great and magnificent and very, very large Metropolitan Tabernacle was built in Elephant and Castle in London, uh, the church that Spurgeon pastored, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great British Baptist pastor, the church he pastored was called, before it became the Metropolitan Tabernacle, it was called the New Park Street Church. And the facilities there at New Park Street were much smaller than that which they would lay their bill. The church had grown significantly, and it became clear that the balcony of the New Park Street Church was very hot and very stuffy. I read this in a book this week by Del Ralph Davis. So Spurgeon had asked some of the deacons of the church to open up some of the balcony windows permanently. In other words, it's so hot and stuffy they... They needed to open up some of the balcony windows to try to get some air into the church. Now, it was uh, in London, and it was a long time ago, but it was still a Baptist church, and so nothing was done, and nothing was done, and nothing was done. Until one Sunday morning, the congregation walked in, and guess what had happened? A vandalism. Somebody had knocked out some of the windows. Imagine the surprise that everyone had. Spurgeon later wrote a book called Lectures to My Students, and he taught regularly to students there, uh, young men who wanted to go into ministry. And later, years later, Spurgeon was known to have said, I have walked with the stick that let the oxygen into that stifling structure. Two things I'd like to say. Number one, for those of you who are deacons here, those of you who are on the House and Grounds Committee here, I could be worse. Second of all, what I would like to say is that patience isn't easy for anyone. 
Now, whether he actually did that or not, I don't know, but it seems like, right, Spurgeon kind of admitted to getting tired of having to ask and to try to get some air into the, the congregation. He busted the windows open. Patience isn't easy even for our heroes of the faith. And much less, imagine being told to be patient. If you're one of James's hearers, one of these people who are being told over and over again here to pursue humility, but also to do it through persecution. A, a church that's actually persecuted. You see, in the modern church, when we get the fir- I mean, the first little whiff of persecution. I mean, if somebody says, man, I don't really care for that cross necklace you're wearing today, we immediately go into persecution mode. We, all we want to talk about, persecution, persecution, persecution. In so many ways, I think we have a persecution complex as Christians in America. And I'm not saying there aren't troubling signs and troubling things, but at the end of the day, the reality is that in James's day, they actually were persecuted. And there are people in the world today who actually are persecuted, who might die for their faith. I'm not saying none of us will ever experience that. We might. But when James's hearers were dealing with persecution, when those in the New Testament were actually dealing with persecution, the reports I get from the persecuted church in America today, guess what they very rarely actually talk about? They may make reference to it, they may talk about it in reference, but very rarely do they sit around and talk about persecution. What does James talk about today? When your faith is under fire, when you're actually going through terrible things, James has given this warning to the rich, and he talks about how they have killed some who are righteous. I can't help but think that some of those people who have been killed, yet who were righteous and did not resist these people, were people who actually uh, were friends of those who read James's letter, members of churches. And what does James tell them? Be patient, therefore, brothers. Be patient. Therefore, brothers, faith under fire. M- many of you are not persecuted, but some of you are going through trials. So, some of you are experiencing trials. So, so some of you are feeling the, the, the grip that you seem to have on faith, and your knuckles are white and your palms are sweating, and you start to feel your grip start to slip a little bit. Your faith is under fire. And that produces patience in the life of a Christian. But it also requires patience. This morning, I want to show you three truths that I believe from this text of Scripture will help you cultivate patience in your life. Three truths that will help you cultivate patience in your life. Here's the first. Hope gives us patience. Hope breeds patience in our lives, and in our hearts. I will confess here to you today, okay, I, I, I don't always like to treat the pulpit like a confessional, but from time to time, I will share with you, and I must say today, I am not a patient man. I, I was not born patient. I do not enjoy being patient. I get frustrated when things aren't on my timeline. I want to give up on things too quickly. I want everything done yesterday. I'm I'm kind of one of these people. I look at things. I see the way I think they ought to be. And I don't understand why everyone can't see it at the exact same moment I did. It's clear to me. 
However, I want you to know something. God has taught me some, now not all the patience I need, but God has taught me some patience over the years. And I want you to know one thing I've learned is the beauty and glory of watching God make things happen in their own time. One of the great joys I've had as a pastor is watching something I so desperately wanted to do and so desperately tried to do happen when I wasn't trying, when God did it. God needs to teach us all patience. There's a horizon for patience. You see, I think our, here's what I think our struggle is with patience. When we think about patience, we go straight to traffic, right? We, we, we go straight to the drive through line, right? We, we, we go straight to our spouse. Be careful with the kind of faces you make right now. We go straight to the little things in life, right? The, the small things of patience. We immediately think that ultimately what God's talking about when He tells us to be patient is the feeling you have when you are waiting on hold with customer service and you feel like nobody can understand you, you can't understand them, and that's what we think about when we think about patience. Now please don't stop thinking about those things. Those are important. But that's not where we start. We don't start here. We start out there. Okay, There's a horizon for patience in the life of the Christian. What does James say? He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You see, if you want to grow in patience with little things, then you need to start thinking about patience in big things. In other words, one of the reasons we have such a hard time in traffic is because we don't think enough about the fact that Jesus is going to make all things new and all things right. That sounds weird, right? Because we're talking about a big theological thought. Hey, if you want to be nicer to your spouse, start thinking about the resurrection. My friends, that's Christianity. That's what the Scripture teaches us. Biblical patience is rooted in an overarching vision of life that recognizes that Jesus is going to come again and make all things right. And that's why there ought not to be such a thing as a bitter Christian. Because bitterness is holding on to things from the past that we should know that Jesus is going to make new and make right one day. And so there's a horizon of patience in our life where we have to look out and see what it is that Jesus is going to do. I think about that a lot as a pastor. So often, what I'm really longing for, when I get frustrated about what hasn't happened in the Lord's church, so often what I'm really longing for is for this church to get a new pastor. And I don't mean me quitting and you hiring a new one. I mean the best pastor that we're going to get one day. Jesus Christ the Lord, right? What, What I'm really longing for is for Jesus to make all things new. And so I get impatient in this life, but hope has to has to drive our patience. So we stop and we think, one of these days, Alexander, you're going to be out of a job. It's going to be a glorious thing. You're going to be one of the sheep at the feet of the good shepherd, and Jesus Christ is going to make all things right and new, and you have to have a hope today that that will happen one day. That starts to transform the way we see the little things. And then we can start to get examples of patience. See how the farmer, James says, he points us to the farmer. And my previous church had a lot of farmers in it. So I got to talk to them. And listen, I'm just going to say, um, I've got farmers in my family, but I know nothing about farming. I mean, I am totally clueless 
about farming. I've got a vine at my house that I'm rejoicing is alive after six months. You know, that's about as green as I get, as my thumb gets here. But we see, though, the way that the farmers, at least in James' day, were really dependent on two rains. And one came early and one came late. And you had to be patient waiting on the rain. But then we also recognize not only the example of patience, you don't just plow up the fields and start over because the rain hasn't come yet, you wait on it. But also there's a work to patience. I think that's what we don't like. <laughs> You've got to work at patience. What, is, what does James say? He says, you also, verse 8, be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. James, in the previous section, talks about people who have fattened their hearts for a day of slaughter. Now he talks about how a believer ought to establish his heart. This is the same verb that Luke used to use in, in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, when he talks about the resolve that Jesus had when he says, the Bible says he set a face like flint toward Jerusalem where he would die. This is what we have to do in our hearts to commit ourselves to say, Jesus is making all things new and all things right, and I have put all my eggs in the Jesus basket. That's all the hope I have in the world. And rather than fattening our heart for the day of slaughter, we have fixed our hearts knowing one day we will face the Lord. This is biblical hope. And a friend's told me sometimes we've messed up the word hope in our society. It seems like a long shot kind of thing, but that's not the picture of biblical hope. The picture of biblical hope is a steadfast determination and belief that Jesus is Lord and He's going to make all things right. And when we start thinking like that, when the resurrection starts impacting our thoughts in terms of everything we do, when we start thinking there's nothing in this world that can be taken from me that a good resurrection can't fix, it starts to transform our view of life and it goes all the way to those moments when we're stuck in traffic. Hope gives us patience. But second of all, patience affects our speech. Patience affects our speech. James, if you haven't figured it out yet, James cares deeply about the way we talk. He he, he cares deeply about the sort of speech that we use. Be patient, therefore, brothers, he says in verse 7. Then he goes on, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He cares about how we talk to one another. And the reality is when we are under fire, when we feel threatened, when we are struggling, we tend to grumble against one another then the most. But what James is saying is it's foolish to turn on one another in these moments and it's foolish to grumble in light of the light in the light of the Lord's return because we're all working together here waiting on the Lord to make all things new and all things right. It's foolish to grumble against one another. But down in verse 12 he also gives us another idea about how we speak about him and to him, reiterating the command of our Lord not to swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. 
Once again, this is a reality that we are trying to orient our lives. We're, we're trying to point our lives toward what God is doing in the gospel, how we've been transformed by Christ, and the hope we have in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hearts are shifted in those ways. And so it impacts the way we speak to each other, and it impacts the way we speak to the Lord and about the Lord. We don't have the right to make oaths. We can't make those promises. It's prideful to do that. And so we have to ask when we think about the way we speak and the way we talk, we have to think about how these things are impacted by how we view our lives. Do you view your life as if this world is permanent? As if the way things are today is the way they'll also be? Or are we living as if this present world is fading away and as if one day we will meet our judge and as if Jesus really will return and make all things right? Are we living, in other words, like... Christians, speak, my friends, use words as if you know this place isn't forever. Speak and use words as if you know you really have hope for the future. Speak and use words as if you know that one day you will stand in front of your king and in front of your judge. Be careful with the way you speak. And so as we look at a passage like this one, I really want us to see and understand and soak and marinate in the way that what James is ultimately trying to do is give us a gospel-centered, gospel-saturated view of everything we do. So often we want to divorce ourselves from the theology we actually hold. We want to live, though, and speak, though, as if, just hear me out here, there really is a God. And there really is a judgment day. So just be careful. Be careful in the way we grumble against one another. Be careful in the way we take oaths. Be careful in the way we treat our lives as if our lives belong to us. Because once again, you are not promised tomorrow. And on top of that, you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Finally, not only does patience affect our speech... Not only does hope give us patience, but finally, I want you to know this truth. Faithfulness, faithfulness requires patience. Faithfulness requires patience. Well, it's finally, it's finally starting to feel normal at church again because we can talk about football. It's college football season, and I hope everyone's ready. Is everyone prepared? Because I'm going to tell you who's coming out. One Saturday of SEC under our belt. Football season started yesterday. And uh, it was an SEC joke. Anyway, so I hope everyone's ready for all the armchair ADs. Anybody know these guys? I'm related to one. I won't say his name. Very, today, at churches and golf courses around the southeast, new contracts will be given Coaches will be fired. Every week, sometimes both in the same game, armchair ADs will fire a coach or extend the contract of a coach. Then some of us kind of look and think, you know what? I can't coach football. I'm not smarter than Nick Saban or Gus Malzahn. I'm not better at this than these guys are. And we might just stop back and sit back and think, you know, it might just take some time to do something good. We we may not be able to just make these decisions every week, certainly not twice in the same game. 
So often, though, we recognize that in this world it takes some time to do something good, right? In this world it takes time to do something good. But so often we give up on the Lord way too soon. We, we give up on the Lord way too soon. You may not know this, but you and God think about things differently. Now think about that for a moment. You, you and God have di- two different views of how things ought to be done. Now, have you ever thought at this point A in your life, and you've thought, if I were God, this is how I would handle my life. Anybody ever been there before? I've been there, right? Now, we may not say it just like that, but when we're frustrated, when we're mad, when God's not doing exactly what we want Him to do, right when we want Him to do it, don't we sometimes kind of think, you know, I'd like to be consulted on this? But let me ask you this. Have you ever been at point B in your life where you look back at point A and you think, I am glad God didn't listen to me. I'm so glad. I so easily, if I'd had the ability, I would have wrecked my life that day. Have you ever seen the way that things you didn't like brought amazing fruit in your life? And and just hear me out for a moment. Maybe God's wiser than we are. We, We can't see everything. But faithfulness requires patience. So we look to the past. What does James say? James says, as an example, well, I'm sorry, back up, verse 9. I mean, verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, have you ever studied the prophets? Have you ever seen what some of the prophets went through? If you want just a quick overview of what a lot of faithful people in the Old Testament went through, just go home this afternoon. You don't have to read the whole Old Testament today. Go home this afternoon and read Hebrews chapter 11. Just go, go home and read Hebrews chapter 11 and read the way that, that so often people who were trusting in God did not receive that which had been promised to them. In fact, some of them only ever saw it from ways off. Moses didn't even get to see all that God had promised to Abraham. Nobody in the Old Testament got to see everything that God promised to Abraham. Only those who are in Christ will ever see all those things which are promised to Abraham. Some prophets suffered, some died, some were sawn in two, the Bible says. Abraham died being promised a city but living in a tent. Yet, does that mean that because they couldn't see what God was doing, that God was less faithful? Of course not. These are things the Bible tells us into which the prophets long to look. And so as Christians who might have their faith under fire today, who are trying to cultivate patience today, we have to look at the example of the saints and see the way that they were moved by God to be faithful even when they couldn't see the promises up close. And then we see something beautiful. Think about it. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Now think about that. Think about if you were in Joseph's shoes, how you would feel. When you're in Potiphar's house, when you're in the pit, when you're in these different difficult situations, you would feel like God had abandoned you, and yet you look back and you see the whole story, right? And what do we do? We treat Joseph like a hero, as we should. We say, wow, look at the faith of Joseph. We consider him faithful. We consider him blessed because he was steadfast in these trials. And yet here we are in trials and we're sitting here thinking, God's not being faithful to me. Have you ever stopped for a moment and just considered the good outcome of the faithful saints in the past and seen the way though they might lose their life in this life, they are gaining life in the life to come. Can't we as Christians have a good outcome view of even our own suffering? Can't that encourage our patience? 
to see the way that we praise saints who are faithful in the past. It ought to shore us up and press us on to be faithful today. But notice what James says. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. and You have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Christian, I, I want you to know something today. And this may sting for a moment when you hear it because you're in such difficult circumstances. Because you've been through so much pain. You've been through so much in your life. But if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, there is no wrath from God on you. Every single thing you've received from the hand of the Lord is a mercy from the Lord if you're in Christ. Now some of you have been through horrible sins. Some of you have been through terrible things. As Joseph said to his brothers, what they meant for evil. And some people have meant evil toward you. And there is no way in the universe you would ever hear me belittle or downplay sin. If you've been sinned against, I take it seriously because God takes it seriously. But the reality is what they meant for evil, God meant for good. God is merciful. God is kind. He is compassionate to you. And though today it may seem severe, it is nonetheless a severe mercy from the Lord, even when we are being tested, even when we go through difficult times. The great lie of the devil is that when our faith is under fire, God isn't being good to us. And it's precisely the lie that he whispered into the ear of our brother and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when he was hungry and tired in the desert. And what did the devil lie to his ear, into his ear about? He said, don't you know that right now you could turn stones into bread if God really loved you in other words don't you think he would feed you if God really cared about you don't you think he would just go ahead and give you all the kingdoms of this earth but no my friends Jesus trusted the Lord and trusted his father rather than the lies that were being whispered in his ears and we must remember that God is being compassionate and merciful even if we find ourselves in a situation like Job's. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to reconcile yourself to all that has happened in your life in this life. What I am saying is that one day all the tears will be wiped from your eyes and all things will be made right. One day there will be a resurrection and Jesus will comfort you himself. And I believe that that comfort will show us and demonstrate to us the way that God was compassionate and merciful even in the most miserable moments of our lives. I hope and I pray that that thought, that, that reality, one of these days, right now I can't see it, right now it's as though through a mirror dimly, right now I can't experience it, I can't feel it, it's dark, I can't stand it any longer. That thought, that one day I'll see Jesus. One day Jesus will make all things right and all things new. I hope that thought will cultivate in you a holy patience, which is one of the most important things you can have to live a faithful life in Christ Jesus. I want to offer an invitation this morning. While the altar's not open, if you need someone to talk to, I'll be here at the end of the service. But the Lord can do business right where you are. And so after this prayer, if you need to put your trust and faith in Jesus, I hope and pray that you would this morning, that you would do that very thing today. Turn 
from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Christ Jesus. Second of all, you may be a believer. And you may say, I need to pray for patience. You pray for it here today. It's an old wives' tale that says you ought not to pray for patience. You need it, and God loves you, so pray for it. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want you to do business with the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for a glorious day among your people. Lord, during this time, would you move in our hearts? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.